Hey, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the place where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. We believe that evolution happens in any species under moments of intense pressure and given the really quite intense pressure humanity and the planet are under just now, we think we're due an evolutionary shift and that evolutionary shift needs to be one of consciousness consciously chosen, which will take a critical mass of people, all more or less working in the same direction. And so what we're endeavouring to do here is to work out how we can get there. How can ordinary, time-poor, stressed-out people in a world that is hurtling towards some kind of crisis find the time and the space and the emotional bandwidth actually to become the change we need to see in the world. Clearly we think this is possible, and definitely it's worth trying, and in this first series of podcasts we are aiming to show the outlines of how we think we can get there. So today I want to do a brief recap of where we've got to so far, before I go on to look more deeply into the ways that we can shift. So early on, we looked at the four core steps that we think lead to conscious evolution, to reawakening into connection, growing into coherence, asking for help, and letting go. And then in the last podcast, we looked at the building blocks of habits, at the neuroscience behind how we can build enduring habits, and then how we can apply that knowledge in our lives to begin building small habits that grow into larger habits that in the end shape who we are and how we are in the world, which is what we're aiming to shift. We looked at the fact that habits are behaviours whose actions have been relegated to the basal ganglia where they can be processed fast and without effort or thought, and that generally speaking in the evolution of humanity This was a useful thing. We want to free up space for the essentials of thinking about important stuff and we want to relegate the stuff that we don't have to think about to the fast places where it can happen unconsciously. It's only now where we need to change very rapidly that we need to begin to shift this. In our look at habits, we looked at the criteria for establishing useful habits. They need to be easy obvious, attainable, desirable, and rewarding. And then we went on to establish that a good habit has a trigger or a cue, an essence of desirability, the behaviour itself, and then a reinforcement, which might simply be the next habit in a sequence, as long as the entire sequence itself has got something that is extrinsically or intrinsically reinforcing at the end of it. And then finally we explored how to use this knowledge to shape a new habit sequence for ourselves. We chose the habit of listening to a five-minute visualisation, mainly because that's what we're doing early on in the membership programme, although because we have actually taken the science on board, in the membership programme we start with a three-second behavioural snippet and work on up 
and use back chaining to help us get there. So if you're planning to do this on your own, start with something really, really small. It's the building of the habit that matters, not the actual finished behaviour. You're aiming towards something. You don't start at the end. All of this is in the last podcast and it's also, if you want to read it, it's on the blog. So if you need more depth, you need to recap in more detail, go back there. So now we've got all that under our belts, I want to look at how habits shape who we are as people. Because really quite large amounts of our lives are habits of feeling, which lead to habits of thought, which lead to habits of action. And if we're going to reach a place where conscious evolution is the next iterative step, we need to learn how to feel and think and act more flexibly, more resiliently, in a world in which our default is usually to pick a behaviour from our toolkit and implement it. This is how we have grown and how we behave. It's only when we can't find a useful default that we have to think at all which is why taking on a new job or a moving house or changing partners are some of the hardest things we can do in a stable peacetime world where we think that tomorrow is a repetition of today, which is a repetition of yesterday. In each of those cases, we can't default to known behaviours and we have to think of something new to do or a new way to respond. But as we get older, what we usually do is search around for half a dozen old behaviours and break them down into their component parts and fit them together into something that looks a bit like a new behaviour, but actually isn't. It's just a jigsaw puzzle of the old behaviours. And not only do I not think that that is going to be very useful anymore, it's not useful for us as people. Because if what we feel and we think and we do as adults, is not actually new. It means that we're locked into patterns of behaviour and cycles of feeling that begin to feel as if they're unchangeable because they are unchanging. I've let my habits define who I am rather than the other way round. In this circumstance, I lose my sense of being an authentic self. And my entire life, from the moment I wake up, becomes a constant rehearsal of who I believe myself to be. The only moments of flexibility, then, that can possibly happen are in my dreams. And even those, I tend to see reflected back to me the parts of myself that I chose not to see in waking life, the parts of me that I chose to suppress or tried to suppress and failed. And they turn up as the frustrations and terrors of the dreams that we wake up just feeling as if the world is catastrophic and that we don't know how to respond within it. And until I am living a fully coherent, authentic life without the denial and the dissociation, until I can be fully flexible and resilient and not bound by habit, then my dreams will tend to reflect the person that I am failing to be, if you see what I mean. We will look at dreams in much more detail later. But for the moment, I want to look at how would my life be? How would my relationships be? How would my dreams be? How would I walk through the world if I were feeling something that felt to me 
to be a much closer approximation to being the best of myself? And how much of this can I trust myself to allow to arise in the moment, unrehearsed, unpracticed, as behaviours that are not habits? Because I think a lot of our habit patterns arise out of a fear of not having a response that works. Because early in our childhood, in our development, as we shift from the little forager hunters that we are as we're born, we start to develop responses to situations. And when something works, we gain approval and we do it again because we are pro-social beings and social approval is one of the greatest reinforcers we can ever have. And this is reflected, if we look at our brainwave patterns as we grow, newborn infants are in delta, those slow, rolling sine waves, low frequency, relatively low amplitude. As adults, we meet those in the deepest of sleep when our bodies are paralysed. We're beginning to see that we can meet them in deep meditation also. So, so deep, deep points of stillness, of not thinking. As the infant grows, then this slightly faster theta waves come in, still quite rolling sine waves, but higher amplitude, higher frequency, beginning to be associated with movements and beginning to be associated with habitual patterns. And as adults, that's our lighter stages of sleep or the meditation that is deeper, but not as deep as delta. Then the brain waves get faster, the child gets older, we move towards alpha brain waves that we see in adult life in the more still moments of our waking and non-meditating lives or in the early phases of meditation. And then as the child hits nine or ten and begins, frankly, to worry about the world, we begin to see beta. And that's mostly our adult waking pattern. It's jagged, it's unpredictable, it's not consistent. Those two are the same thing. It's not a pretty brainwave pattern. It looks like a mountain range. It's jagged and it's fraught. And the faster and more jagged it gets, the more we get towards the states of thinking where we actually can't think anymore. If our beta gets very, very fast, we're in that state of being in whiteout panic and paralysis. And that's not a useful way to be. But what we found as we look more at the brainwave patterns of meditation is that if we go from beta to alpha to theta, to delta, then when we move into a state that is, to us, feeling deeper than delta, we get to gamma waves. And gamma waves aren't these rolling sine waves anymore. They are high frequency, high amplitude, very high frequency, very high amplitude, much higher frequency and amplitude than beta, but they are very coherent. So they all look the same. And with this very coherent high amplitude, high frequency comes the sense of unity that is in the absolute deepest meditation. That's when the subjective sense is of being fully connected to the world around us. There are no boundaries. We and the universe are as one. And it used to be that we thought we only found gamma in Tibetan monks who had spent 40 years meditating 14 hours a day. But we are getting signs now that we can find gamma in ordinary people, in meditation. And you, know, the, you go on a course or a retreat and you meditate for a week or so. 
but it's not that you've had to do it for the whole of your life. And I think that this is where we need to get to. The place of flexibility and resilience of being is part of that gamma state where we are responding absolutely to whatever happens in the moment. We are heart open, heart connected. There are no boundaries between us and the rest of the web of life. The question is, how do we get there? Because we haven't got 40 years of 14 hours a day of meditation. Even if we wanted to, I don't think we've got that long. And the answer that we have at the moment is our four steps, reawakening into connection, growing into coherence, asking for help and letting go. But the steps of getting there are the small steps of changing our habits of feeling, that change our habits of thought, that change our habits of action, one step at a time. And as we've got before in the previous podcast, with any change in our habits, the new habit needs to be desirable, attainable, easy, obvious and rewarding. And I think that from where we are now, certainly from where I am now, settling isn't to gamma, isn't either easy or obvious. But I think we can get there in our small iterative steps, which is what this entire programme is about. We work in our connection. We work in our own internal coherence. We learn to ask for help in ways that yield answers that are clear and constructive and coherent and that we can apply. And then we let go. And I think the gamma comes in the letting go. And my sincere hope is that as we progress in this, those of you who want to join in the group, we will reach a point where we can convene a group retreat and start to measure some of our own brainwaves as we do this and see what's happening. But we're not there yet. So in the meantime, we need to keep going with whatever works for us, keeping in mind that we are aiming for internal resilience somewhere quite soon along the line, I think. And because I also think that the texture, the tone of our feelings is key to shaping how we are in the world. I want to share another idea to do with how feelings shape us and how we shape our feelings. So there is an interesting sequence of feeling evolution that underlies this shaping of ourselves. And there's an acronym, A-M-T-P which stands for attitude, mood, temperament, and personality traits. So starting with the A, my attitudes are short-term. How I felt when I woke up and remembered the list of things I have to do today, how I responded at a feeling level to hearing the news, or to meeting a friend while walking the dog, or to looking out across the rooftops and seeing a new car in the village. Each of these is transient. They're like a rain cloud passing over. They roll across, it rains a bit, the landscape becomes a bit damp, and then it's gone, and it hasn't necessarily changed the background weather of the day. But if enough rain clouds roll across and stitch together, they do begin to define the weather of the day, which is my mood. I'm in a good mood, or a cheerful mood, or an angry mood, and everybody knows somebody whose mood shifts like the weather. It's not necessarily who they are as an underlying person, 
but, you know, they got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning and they're just not in the greatest of moods and they're best, you know, keep quiet around them. Or alternatively, this person is in a fantastic mood today, which is quite unusual and let's make the most of it. So our moods are not as transient as the attitudes, but they are the weather for today and perhaps for this week. But if I'm in consistently a particular mood, a good mood or a bad mood, then it begins to shape my temperament, which is a mood spread over weeks or months, phases of my life. So I might be temperamentally frivolous and prone to practical jokes all the way through university. And then I graduate and the responsibility of work hits me and my whole temperament shifts. So I become much more studious and solid and worried about mortgages and pensions and buying houses and the size of my car. And I become unrecognisable to the people who knew me when I was at university. So my attitudes, which were transient, might flip around, my moods might become good or bad, but my temperament underlying it has shifted. And then underneath all of this, so my, so my temperament might be the weather of a season. It might be summer and then it changes and it becomes autumn and then it changes and it becomes winter through the phases of my life. Underneath all of these are the global climate. Yes, I am using this metaphor really deliberately, but it is still useful. So the climate is my personality traits. My attitudes stitch together to become my moods, which stitch together to become my temperament. And if my temperament doesn't shift, it becomes my personality, which is defined by the behavioural scientists in one of the iterations as consistent patterns in the way a person thinks and feels. Consistent patterns in the way a person thinks and feels. And that sounds really constant, doesn't it? Consistent patterns. And there are a lot of people who will tell you that these are fixed. And I genuinely don't think that they have to be, if only because I am conducting an experiment on myself and feeling the changes. And this is what I want you to take away from this week. If we change our attitudes, then over time we can shift our moods. And if we shift our moods, then over time we can shift our temperaments. And if we can shift our temperaments, then we can shift the foundations of how we walk in the world. Our personality traits can become more resilient and less prone to reaching for the old habits of feeling and thought and action. And to get there, what we need is a baseline ability to see and feel what we're thinking and feeling, to not get too caught up in the dramas of our own moments. And this is not the same as denial. There is a whole world of difference between doing the work in ourselves such that we can see our own process and let it float past without having to indulge ourselves in it, and brushing that same drama under the carpet where it festers and will eventually explode out. For this process to work, it has to encompass an allowing, an observing, a witnessing, a respecting of the part of ourselves from which whatever that feeling is arose, 
because all parts of us are welcome here. This is not about cramming some bit of us into a box in the corner and telling it to shut up. This is about giving all parts of us space and time, but not having it such that one part can hijack everything else. Largely because it's been ignored for a while and it's leapt up from its little box in the corner and gone, okay, now I'm taking over. And this entire habit pattern, this entire sequence of very practiced behavior is coming back and it's happening now and there is nothing you can do about it. We are not heading for that. That's how, certainly how my process can evolve. But if we're working on our own process, if we're getting to the point where we are seeing our own process, then we can see the separate parts of ourselves and we can give them space at times and places where it's appropriate to say what we need to say or to feel what we need to feel, such that we don't have to default to those habits later on. So if you're working in the membership program or if you're trying this yourself at home, stitching it together from the podcast and the blogs, then this is one of the things that I think we need to think about as we do the visualisations and the meditations. We're not doing them just for the sake of doing them. We are not meditating simply in order to become better meditators. We're not building a habit of five minutes of listening to a water visualisation in the morning simply in order to carry on with the rest of our day as if nothing had changed. The point of our connecting, of our growing into coherence, is that we let the effects of that spill over into the rest of our days. So, in this case, with whatever form of meditation works for you, whether you're returning your attention to a single point of focus in the close focus meditations, or letting it spread wide to the entirety of your present moment in the open focus meditations, in either case, you are essentially becoming aware of being aware. And then over time, as we practice, as we become increasingly fascinated by the process of our own process, we can see our thoughts and our feelings arising on increasingly subtle levels. And then we can choose to let them pass. So let's say my tribal side lost the election and now I think the entire nation is sliding fast into fascism and concentration camps. I could spend hours in the really familiar cycling of that one, of the despair and the rage of the what-ifs and the why is it that the rest of the world doesn't see the world in the way that I do. Or I could see that at the point where it starts and maybe over a time just before it starts and I can let it go in a way that is still honouring of the part of me that is terrified. I am not crushing the terror. I am letting the terror be, but I am not letting it take over the whole of my being. I am watching it. Letting it become a little blip instead of a giant mountain. And then when the little blip has passed, then I have a choice. I can carry on with my day and my thinking can whiz off into all the other habitual areas, most of which are self-judgmental or possibly even downright destructive. Certainly they have been in the past. Or I can replace that little blip, that thought-feeling pattern, 
with something much more constructive, more likely to help me keep balanced and open and connected and heading more into gamma. And because what fires together wires together, if I consistently return to this default feeling, then over time it will become hardwired in the same way my poor me the world isn't the way I want it to be has become hardwired. And this is what I think lies at the core of shifting who we are, finding a default feeling that works for us and that we can reliably evoke in a way that is authentic and grounded and is not an excuse for dissociation and denial. And then we've found it, we practice it. And this isn't trivial. And we are planning a workshop in July to do this because it's one of the things that works really well when we explore it in a community of like-minded people who are all striving for the same thing. But July's a long way off and you might not be able to come and you might not want to come. And in any case, it never hurts to start early. So the next podcast, I want really to explore in depth the evocation of consistent, reliable, authentic, grounded feeling. What they are, how we might find them, how we might evoke them so that we can bring them into our habit patterns. For now, if you have the time, if you can face it, I would really encourage you to begin to look at the thought cycles that are repetitive in your own process. How often do they occur? How often do they recur? How many of them are there? What kind of attitudes and moods and temperaments are they associated with? What does your personality feel like? How would you feel if that were shifted? If you can face it, if you can face spending at least 10 minutes in meditation once a day for the next week, and while you're doing it, write down your thoughts and the feelings associated with them, and then compare them. It is a really instructive process. I know it's frustrating. Trust me, I've done it. It's really frustrating. But you do find out an awful lot about the things that are going around again and again and again. You get to the point, I got to the point, where I could just narrow them down to a word. I didn't have to write out the whole bloody thought again. So if you're in the membership program, please come onto the forum or the webinars and let's talk about this. Because it is also more complicated than I am making it sound. A lot of our deeply held thoughts or our thought-feeling units are so foundational that we don't even see they're there. They are so much part of the structure of our world that we take them for granted. But if we're going to gain the flexibility that we need, if we're going to become truly resilient in the face of our so rapidly changing world, then we do need to start shifting some of these uncontested baselines. But we need to do it safely so that we are not left in free fall without any reference points. So just start by writing down what you think and feel in a 10 minute meditation and see how much it's repeated over the days because it may be frustrating, but that much is safe. So that's it for another week. Thank you to Caro C for the music at the head and the tail of the podcast and for the glorious sound production. Thanks to Faith Tilleray for being the website tech genius that she is, for helping work through the workbooks, for being the other half of everything.
And thank you for being here. If you like us, then five stars and a review on the podcast app of your choice would be wonderful. But please share this. Share it with anybody that you think is interested in becoming more flexible, becoming more resilient, in being the change that we need to see in the world. Share it with anyone that you think might get the idea of conscious evolution. If we can get our critical mass, then we can do this, people. And it's going to be fun. So, goodbye for another week. See you next time.